0: said that we would try to approach today with yeah starting today with the writers in exile I think and writers in prison is it, these were the two focal points I believe right that right, us right. To go into um, you,
1: you wanted to briefly talk about uh, the Armenian situation didn't you
0: yes yeah we can touch upon this um do you mean with regards to the recognition from Biden and um right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, how, how do you see that? I mean, obviously I can sort of, you know, add my sort of thoughts to that, but without prejudicing your own, um, it would be yeah interesting to hear what you think about that statement.
1: Um, I've been waiting for something like this for, for uh, years, and I'm very happy that it now came because uh, the French were – apparently the first to accept it, the term uh, genocide. Um, Before the Germans did, I had talked to somebody in the Turkish department, and they said, No, we won't do that. We cannot do this. Um, The uh, Armenians uh, were uh, uh, killed, yes, but it was not genocide and genocide in that term did not exist at the time that it happened Um, I was very very uh, defensive about that because uh, that was a cop out and um, so I'm all the more happy that now it has become uh, worldwide the recognition that uh, the Armenian uh, disaster was, was a genocide and it has been accepted as that as such, in uh, in history books and so on and so forth, except in Turkey, of course.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is one of the questions that I've been asked. So just to essentially, I completely agree with everything that you said there. Um, and being of um, Armenian, ethnic origin doesn't in any way um, yeah, change that. It doesn't add to it necessarily either. Uh, so I think I'm more than content to hear uh, and to agree with what you said there. People have asked me, though, going forward, what this could mean. And I I find it, it's a fascinating topic, because with the USA recognising it as genocide after 106 years, it it doesn't change any facts for, I believe, the Armenians, because for them it had always been a genocide. Mm -hmm. There was no need for um, somebody else to tell them that that was the case. Uh, However, the recognition for those who died, um, for the survivors for those who tried to re-establish their communities in foreign lands, um, and you know, I have to say, in you know, the vast majority of the countries in which the Armenians ended up, so in in Iraq, in Syria, in Lebanon, in Jordan, in Kuwait, in Oman, um, in all of these areas, they were welcomed. They were given homes. They were treated um, with levels of humanity which they had not experienced up to then. And indeed, I was even shown once a decree from an emir uh, stating that um, it is the responsibility of Arab peoples to take in the Armenians, Um, and this was uh, sort of published at the time. Uh, And and so for for Armenians, the the act of recognition by by the USA is an extremely welcome gesture um, and so the question we, regarding what therefore should follow um, is difficult to assess. this it Yeah.
1: Absolutely, because we don't know uh, what will happen with Turkey, within Turkey, and that's part of the problem. Um, the fact that the Arab countries uh, accepted Armenians had also something to do with their um, enmity or, or distance from the Ottoman Empire, and they had been under the Ottoman Empire themselves in part. So it was, to me, it was natural that there would be a, an acceptance. It was unnatural to me that the acceptance of the term genocide was uh, procrastinated and procrastinated in Western countries, in Europe, and until now in America. So I'm very happy that there has been a, a stone rolled over.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, we're still hoping for the boulder. Um, I, I believe that the normality can come to pass in that area uh, once mature politicians on both sides decide to step up and take responsibility for their for their people, um, and they should engage in dialogue. There's no reason why after all of these years, there should be no dialogue. Um, and I'm hoping this will change you know, between the Armenians, between the Turks. Um, and I think there should be uh, a pathway towards recognition by Turkey for the crimes committed by the Ottomans we're not talking about the new country that was founded by Ataturk. We're talking about the Ottomans. Right, right. And they should recognize this historical fact. But that can only happen with official dialogue with the, 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 uh, the representatives of the Armenian government. And uh, as I said, I do believe that requires mature politicians from both right. sides.
1: And independent politicians, I think, also on the Kurdish side. Uh, the Turks, um, uh, Erdogan. Uh, is on a war path against Kurds of every so- of every kind. And uh, it was uh, the Kurds that I met in the last 20 years who always stood up for the Armin- Ar- Armenian people, uh, while during the Ottoman Empire, they were among the military forces of the empire against the Armenians uh so there has been a change because the Kurds have now also been on the receiving end of oppression and lack of uh, independence so yeah. i think there's a uh, there is uh there should be room for a tripartite conversation and and negotiations um but that would necessitate that Turkey would not just accept the uh, Armenian genocide but also the displacement of the Kurds and uh, the
0: obsession with
1: with uh, getting uh, at their throat
0: yeah absolutely um, I mean as you say the you know the Kurds were you've already said it I'm not going to repeat what you said but essentially the Kurds were tricked were conned in those days, during the First World War, when they were told by the Ottomans, if you help us in this, we will create for you that which you have always desired. And they helped them in the the massacring of uh, Armenian villages and assisting in the deportations that followed. And then they themselves were attacked by Ottoman soldiers, they were refused, they were vilified. Um, and this is why these issues continue to exist between uh, t- Turkish government um, representatives and indeed representatives of the Kurdish communities. The Kurds have been unfairly treated throughout um, the Middle East. I mean, it's not just in Turkey, it's also in Iraq, you could say. Of course. Um, and, you know, there needs to be excuse me, <clears throat> some kind of resolution uh, to the, the, the Kurdish question. But when you see, for example, that the Kurds who were so complimented for the assistance that they provided for the, shall we say, this war against uh, ISIL um, or Daesh, as they call it at the time, um, by the West, and then for the West to simply turn their backs. On those forces they had complimented so vehemently, and then left them to, for the Turks. Um,
1: you're taking the words out of my mouth. That's yeah. what I was going to refer to next. Yes.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't want to jump no, in there. No, no. Uh,
1: we're we're on the same side, and we're we're thinking the same, and we have the same perspective on what is going on right now. Yes.
0: Yeah. I mean I, I would like to think and it's it's perhaps it's just with naivety on my part but I would like to think that had um, a, a mr. Biden been president at the time he would not have allowed that to happen to the Kurds um, I, I think it was uh, uh, mr. Trump was basically we won we got rid of them um, and yeah I'm sorry but I don't want to have, uh, I don't want to engage any more conflicts with American troops. Uh, you guys take care of yourselves. And, uh, you know, for any country to, to make that kind of uh, decision, uh, it, it's, it's suggestive of cowardice, really.
1: Right. It's four years that we uh, have to um, get through now, probably the next 10 years, and eradicate everything that was done wrong during those four years of Mr. Trump, ex-President Trump.
0: Yes, indeed. Yes. Uh, I mean, I don't know where that particular story will end. But I mean, you know, for as long as we see people in power who yeah, I agree that there is a, a right for right wing politicians just as much as there is a right for left wing politicians to exist. I don't understand why they have such little regard for human life. Yes. As in, you know, as in be right wing, you know, as as a person who believes in democracy and says, you have the right to your opinions, be right wing. But why do you kill innocent people? I, I do not understand this element.
1: This is what we've been working with uh, in PEN, uh, in many, many organizations. Um, which has been on my mind and in my thoughts and in my heart and in my efforts to counteract it for 20, 30 years now um, on a very small scale with regard to those who opened their mouth against injustice, against uh, corruption, against war. And um, this is where writers in prison and writers in in Exile comes in. Writers in Prison is the work for people in their country when they are under, when they are oppressed, when they're under uh, threat of being uh, killed, of being thrown into prison. Um, And this is worldwide. And at the same time, uh, during the first 10 years of working for Writers in Prison, or uh, maybe the first five, six years working for Writers in Prison, um, the question was not just in my mind, but in everybody's mind who was working for writers in prison. What do we do with writers that we can free from oppression and bring into other countries? what is what are the means that we can provide for their livelihood, for their uh, forum uh, to step out as a writer? and continue what they had been taught and what they had been uh, doing all their lives. So uh, the Writers in Exile uh, efforts came right out of the Writers in Prison uh, uh, efforts. And for me, it turned me back into or got me back into the early years when um, I was living in my exiles. And um, so I could link up to the feeling and the the oppression and the the aftermath and the trauma of exile um, so that I could bring in uh, into the efforts of first German pen um, some information on what was needed. The only problem was not very many people knew anything or how to deal with exiles. Um, We had an international effort to start an international exile committee or network, which failed because um, some people were taking the money and run. Um, Then German PEN with uh, the president Said, as I said uh, before, the first non-German president of German PEN, Uh, we were sitting in Moscow. Uh, and we're looking at discussions and uh, Zeit said, we have to do something. How can we uh, step up and help writers in exile? And our Writers in Exile uh, Vice President didn't know very much English. She was very good in in Russian. Um, So Zeit turned to me and said, Karen, You tell them we are taking over as clearinghouse for the Writers in Exile committee or network. Um, Everybody was very happy and grateful. So in the end, I ended up as the non-official representative of the German clearinghouse for Writers in Exile and got involved um, right away by researching what the differences were in different countries, and different regions of the world, uh, how they dealt with exiles in general, uh, were they giving asylum, were they um, providing for their livelihood when they came in, and it d- depended on the country and the region. Um, the European countries were very much against uh, offering asylum, you had to go through the process with everybody else, which, of course, uh, for writers is very difficult because uh, they cannot be in, in in contact with their colleagues in Western countries and say, you know, what are you doing for us? Can you not help? So we decided in Europe that the only way of giving them a secure way of living in the countries that uh, of the European Community was to find uh, scholarships for them, scholarships that would uh, give them money and uh, insurance, and uh, particularly money to live, to be able to to write. And this was our main concern. Of course, we couldn't do it for umpteen hundreds and thousands of people but um German pen was lucky uh we got uh money from the government for six scholarships in six different cities um so that we had uh, a network of uh, people who we Uh, dealt with and in every one of the cities we had someone to take care of them to go to the official through the official process of registering them and finding a place and finding uh, later ways of getting them on a podium so that they could present themselves as writers which of course is very difficult when there is no connection between the languages. Um, People who came from Iraq, of course, didn't know German. So we had, we needed translators, we needed, um, we needed people to understand what was going on in in an exile, uh, in an exiles mind, particularly in a writer's mind. And I was thinking of uh, research I'd done on German exile in the United States, and uh, there the general feeling was the older people would never learn the new language. It was only the younger people who had a chance of writing in the language of their host country. Um, So it would always be an exile situation for most of the writers. And realizing that Um, we tried as best we could to find venues and people to help the writers that came into our lives. Um, I'm talking about Germany now. Uh, With six um, scholarships, there were several cities in Germany who also established their own scholarships, and they aligned themselves with Penn. So if they had uh, a free space, we looked in international pen what we could do and what where we could help. Um, the other situation in this was pretty much the same situation in all countries in Europe. We needed scholarships because uh, we needed uh, money for them to live. whereas in america and in particularly in Canada the situation was when anybody came into the country, they were helped with basics, um, and they were assisted in their different prof- professions. But they, within fair, very fairly short period of time, they had to sustain themselves. Um, with the help, of course, of writers' uh, unions and writers' uh, organizations, uh, there was they weren't falling uh, into a bottomless pit. But um, the situation in Europe, particularly in Germany, was very favorable. And we had another positive uh, aspect. We had... Uh, friends who were doing the same. There was the city of Hamburg who was taking in exiles and people under uh, stress and under um, government oppression. Um, The city of Graz was taking in people. Um, The uh, parliament of writers where the first president was Salman Rushdie. Um, They had established a network of Exile cities, and these this network later was taken over by uh, Stavanger, Stavanger in Norway, and the Stavanger network uh, was very very strongly supported by the government in in uh, Norway, and they in a way took over m- many of the um, services that an exile committee would do. Um, Basically, International Pen right now does not have a Writers in Exile committee or Writers in Exile network. They have um, conferences inviting those countries with Writers in Exile, Norway, Sweden, uh, Germany, and quite a number of others, Plus, they um, are very, very closely working together with Stavar and the International, City of, uh, International Network of Cities of Refuge. Um, those were the efforts that came parallel to the Writers in Prison work. And it worked very well because we could network with the cities and countries um, working for writers in exile, because they were also, in a way, working for writers in prison. And uh, it was easier than when I began um, to find international connections and find international support, which, as I stressed over and over again, is the only thing that really helps because uh we need the strength of the voices of freedom to convince anybody and to convince uh oppression uh to convince countries uh of of oppression um that they should uh give writers the freedom to speak their mind and uh see to it that freedom to speak, freedom to write and freedom to publish are are maintained, is something that they won't do anyway, even if, however loudly loudly we scream, uh, if there is no reason for them to do it. And that is the most difficult aspect of writers in prison, as well as writers in exile. Because writers in Exile also depends on getting people into the country. When we had problems, sometimes uh, we had uh, promised a scholarship to somebody in Africa. And we had problems with German embassies to let them in. Because they were saying, once they got in, they will ask for asylum. Which was sometimes, and most of the times, true. But what do you do? You can't just. Pick those who, where you were absolutely sure they go back, and uh, in many cases they couldn't go back; they would have been killed. So it it was always a balancing act, and uh, it remains a balancing act: writers in prison as well as writers in exile.
0: Yeah, I mean, I find it challenging in some ways. To understand, because the European Union is very much based upon upholding these uh, ideals of freedom of speech, supporting these democratic principles in other areas, um, and so therefore you know, having these principles means inherently uh, that you will do all of you all that you can to uphold those voices uh, in other cultures, in other languages, to assist them, essentially. Um, I mean, I, I don't agree with the, the policy of exporting democracy or democratic principles to areas where they do not want them because I don't think you, I don't think you can force freedom um, you know, upon a right. culture. You, cannot. you yeah? cannot, no. It doesn't make sense. Um, on the other hand, if there are voices of freedom within, there must be some kind of peaceful dialogue that can be had with perhaps the government from an official representative of the European Union. But then again, as you say, there should be a responsibility of recognizing the plight of these people and accepting them within the European Union as a cultural voice.
1: Um, I must say that we had very good support from the European Union whenever we approached them. As I had said, when uh, during the trial of Oran Pamuk in uh, Istanbul, there were four people from the German delegation of uh, the European Parliament. They were at the trial as observers. So there is an effort in many, many parties, not all of them, to help and help sustain the... uh, dialogue with those who are in exile. Uh, The only problem is um, that's expensive and the expense is what keeps many countries away from even touching the problem. Uh, To invite somebody into the European context where asylum is um, is political asylum yes, but it is uh, asylum on a very very low level of help. If you have asylum, you are thrown into with the with the lowest denominator of of employees. Um, what we were trying to do for the writers was to establish their base for being able to continue writing and maybe even. Uh, while learning the new language, being able to later, maybe in 20 years, um, to approach the public in that country in their own language, which is um, which was a hope. Uh, it's not feasible in most cases. But um, writers need writers are the first who are thrown to prison. Uh, threatened with death when they open their mouth. And that's the profession of writers is to write, to open their mouth, to look at the uh, society around them and to point to the um, the things that are missing. Uh, So they are the first victims of oppression. And that helped us uh, or that uh, led us to feel that they needed special help. And um, to this day, I think a voice that is being crushed wherever, whether in foreign countries or by uh, lack of of financial or whatever base in the country of exile, uh, is a voice lost. So my feeling is that we should still work on both fronts, but to um, provide somebody with uh, a livelihood, particularly when they have come with wife and children, uh, they need uh, an apartment, they need furniture, they need uh, insurance, particularly uh, health insurance, they need uh, household insurance, and they need some money to live on, because they cannot Provide for themselves the publishers that they had been dealing with, if they had had any, and it, many had paid for their own publications. Um, they are gone, they cannot, they can reach them better now than uh, writers about uh, 50, 60, 70 years ago. That's true, but the contact of an Arab writer to a Lebanon uh, publisher uh, is is very uh, limited, and this is true for other uh, countries. The support for writers in exile is, as I said, expensive. It should not be too expensive for us, rich countries. Um, it is um, very helpful what... Then, and this is since that is the, the organization I was most familiar with, what Penn is doing in many, many areas to help them get out of the country of oppression or stay in safe places in their country or come to Europe or come to anywhere outside um, is possible. And some countries some people, some uh, colleagues had wonderful ideas of getting money to help writers in prison and writers in exile. And I think we should, we are are intelligent, we are creative people, we should think about a thousand ways of supplying what is needed for those who are in, in exile and are under oppression because it may happen to us one of these days.
0: Yeah, a, a very, you know, an important point to raise. Um, out of curiosity as well, the, the writers, for example, that come to countries such as Germany, um, are they united with the communities of these, the ethnic communities of these countries? I mean, so for example, if you have a Kurdish um, author who has escaped persecution, uh, and who arrives in Germany? Uh, would this writer have access to the local Kurdish community? Would they want of to have access? Is it of there course. would be a relation? Okay. It, it, of course. Uh, the
1: problem is people who come into exile are very very cautious as far as political alliance uh, is concerned. And a Kurd who comes from uh, Turkey may not necessarily be uh, um, very happy about uh, aligning himself with a Kurd who is close to the PKK or any other organization. So it's a political question. Many people who come uh, find ways of uh, getting together with, with their own, with with people of their own country and their own culture, particularly. Um, in some cases um, they didn't want any contact so um, their contact was or stayed outside of the realm that we could uh, get give them access to Uh, and so they had to fend for themselves but in many cases um, these i would call them former exiles who were helped through these programs there's a very strong uh, Bangladeshi element who are working for uh, against oppression and for freedom in their country, and they're in Europe, uh, stayed in Europe, connected themselves with like-minded friends, and you have that as one example of many. So, the hopeful and pos- the positive aspect of it is not just that those writers uh, add to the liveliness, the colourfulness of our culture, which is something everybody forgets because, you know, they're strangers. How, how can they serve us? They are part of international culture. We are part of international culture. The cult, The cultural movements are getting in part away from nationalistic or uh ethnic cultural movements uh while the the ethnic culture should be maintained the access through literature is multifaceted and it's worldwide and should remain that way
0: yeah absolutely i mean the thoughts that certain cultures possess which go back centuries or millennia um, you know, c- cannot simply be dismissed on the basis that they were originally pronounced in another language. That the value, as you say, the beauty, the intrinsic importance uh, of some of the uh, the meaningfulness of, of these terms, of these stories, are, are wonderful. I, I I came across a, a very simple sentence not long ago, um, and I believe it was um, an, an old African proverb that says uh, it takes a whole village to raise a good child yes. and I mean for me the the meaning the depth of that simple sentence it, it's very difficult simply to fathom in a superficial way isn't it? you'd have to sit down and really think about what that means and it's wonderful as, as a proverb uh, the meaning of it is amazing yes
1: on so many levels because it takes a world. To shape every individual life.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and and, and I often do get a sense that um, the further back in time that you know we go to find communities and expressions, the more human. The, the essence is, and the more we perhaps crave it, because you know, right now, especially when we are hiding behind our technological devices to have any kind of communication and relationship with the outside world, um, you know, we miss that humanitarian element, uh, the humanity of our interactions are, are not there on a daily basis as they once were. And so the meaningfulness of these uh, sentiments uh, are far more pronounced, I find, at least. Uh, I,
1: I know what you mean, I'm not quite sure that um, this has something to do with former cultures on, Cultures that are uh, that are gone or are going away. It's a part of uh, our new thinking that is formalistic, technical, and at the same time, what would we do without tech, uh, technology? What would we do without formalism? But we should not import it into culture. You know, when when the when literature is. Uh, interpreted only only according to its formalistic aspects, um, there's something missing. The, the most important thing is missing. Um, I had uh, an example f- from uh, a young lady who is 14, 15, um, her German teacher, Uh, was teaching her and her class the formalistics of poetry. Um, Terms that I'd learned during my studies, but not when I was 14. Um, The only question I asked afterwards was, and what are you doing with the contents? How, how Have you spoken about the contents of poetry, for instance? This is, this is the question um, that the overlaying of formalism over humanity and the, makes the differentiation of um, all kinds of aspects of culture makes it so difficult to get back to the human element. And there you are very right.
0: Yeah, thank, thank you. I mean, that, that's essentially what, what I was trying to, uh, to identify. It's, uh, I was re- trying to remove this, uh, the technological element and putting, putting the individual, let's say, reader on this, uh, in this example uh, in direct contact with the writer, the sentiments of the writer um, and trying to then understand almost face-to-face within the imagination uh, that then comes through the process of reading and trying to understand the relationship that the the author, even if you go back hundreds and hundreds of years, still today has with the reader. Uh, I do find that transmission fascinating. Yes. I have to admit.
1: The only problem is um, our school system has not given um, the priority to culture and to literature, but to so-called facts and uh, items. Mm. Um, they don't pull it together and say, look at all these different aspects. What are you making out of it? Or what has somebody else made out of it? Um, one is the analysis and one is the synthesis. And I'm all for analysis. I'm all for techni- uh, technology. I'm all for for, for formality whatever but if you don't pull it together and synthesize what you analyze and what you break apart you lose and this is what this is why i totally agree with what you said we have lost that contact
0: yeah yeah, and uh, I mean, I mean, this is also something which, uh, you know, as you say, synthesizing. You know, we can expand the principle into other areas of our you know, societies, communities, our lives. Essentially, um, um, we can analyze um, immigration. We can analyze integration. We can analyze. know all of these different processes and come up with lots and lots of different statistics and studying you know what is best what is perhaps not so good and so on but there is an inherent beauty also within diversity and you know sometimes the problem isn't the diversity itself the problem is the inability to embrace that diversity yes and i i think you know it's good to find a way where you can uh, accommodate groups and accommodate different needs and interests. But the overriding factor should still be we must embrace our differences and find a way.
1: And sometimes uh, you find the answer to something like this um, in a poem, in a verse, in a line of from a novel thought and written by somebody two thousand years ago. Hmm. And that's that to me is breaking through the formality, breaking through the limitations, going breaking through the f- fractionizing of our world. You break through back to the basics. And I think that's what we should all learn. We shouldn't learn it in old age when when uh, you can't give it to anybody around you anymore. But we should learn it from the beginning, and there I think the school systems are completely uh, going into the wrong direction, except for maybe the occasional wonderful teacher.
0: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm going to make a note of this because education, you know, I have a bit of a, you know, a problem with the, the direction of education. And I, I mean, I, I, I want to give education a chance. I want to speak to some people, some current uh, teachers and see what their thoughts are. Um, but I, I'd love to go into a bit of a discussion um, about that as well with you. Uh, in one of our future episodes we've got so many things to discuss carvin mean, I've made so many notes about what we what we're going to discuss um, in the future um, I think we should probably have a chat about that um, but yeah owing to our allergies I think we'll probably we'll, we'll, we'll leave this as our shortest uh, to date right. podcast a short right. and sweet one and um, but yeah, thank you very much. I, I do really appreciate the deep sentimentality of the way that you have approached um, your 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 work, uh, and also indeed the message that you you give out today. It, it has there is a definite strength and power uh, to the message that you give. So thank you for that, Carly.
1: I thank you for giving <clears throat> giving me the time and. Uh, right now I think we better stop because my voice is
0: starting to grow (laughs) okay all the best have a good weekend thank you